Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This recording may contain content unsuitable for children. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm your host, Will. And I'm your host, Brian. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons, from busty barmaids to burly bugbears. And today's topic is, what is D&D? I cast Fireball. Excellent. Let's get right into it. Uh, so, Will, what is D&D? D&D is the world's most popular tabletop RPG. Um, I've been playing for about five years, six years now. Um, and I've been, I've been, I started as a player and now I tend to be a dungeon master most of the time, uh, which are two completely different aspects of the game, which are very difficult to explain to people who don't know what the game is. But um, D&D which stands for Dungeons and Dragons. And as a tabletop role-playing game, it's it's a game you tend to play um, in a group around a table with, you know, dice and pen and paper. And the whole point of the game is to kind of assume a role that you don't normally, uh, you would just never normally experience in life. You You assume the role of a fantasy character, whether that be a fighter with a sword and shield or an elven archer, you know, from the wilds or, you know, uh, a hyper intelligent wizard who's looking for more power or, you know, whatever it is you want it to be. Um, so typically in a Dungeons and Dragons game, we have a setting that's uh, like a more medieval, more like Tolkien kind of. Yeah, generally. Gen- I mean, generally, that's that's the classic D&D setting. You can uh, realistically, you can set D&D wherever you want it to be. Um, but when most people are playing D&D, yeah, they're playing in a high fantasy, uh, Tolkien-esque or WoW kind of fantasy setting with orcs and elves and and the like. Yeah, like World of Warcraft, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I noticed that like when you're playing D and D, you have the role playing aspect and uh, and the fantasy aspect of things, but you also have a mechanical um, implementation that yeah. you know kind of uh, <clears throat> makes you play the game to you know there's a set of rules basically that you play by yeah um a lot of people can be a little intimidated by D&D because you know it's a book a book full of rules and all the things you need to know to play and it's like man that's a lot to read I don't really feel like I could get into this um but uh, you when you when you think about it like D&D is just adults playing make-believe and the rules that are in the book are just kind of like the groundwork so that like it doesn't get out of hand because I think we've all been, I'm sure most of us, when we were kids, we played some sort of form of make-believe with our friends, and they're like, you know, cops and robbers or whatever, and there there was always that moment where you're like, bang, bang, I got you, and they're like, no, no, you didn't, 
And yeah, like, I've got my bulletproof vest on though. Yeah, you didn't count yeah, for that. Exactly. Exactly. Like, oh, did you come in with a bulletproof vest? Like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. I have my bazooka now, yeah. and I blew up the ground. And and what I, are you gonna do about? That? Yeah. Oh, well, you didn't know I could fly. <laughs> I think we could all agree. Fuck that kid, because um, he ruined it for everybody. He ruined it for you. He ruined it. And, you know, you never really played that again. So the um, rules are in place to keep things from spiraling out of control. Yeah. So you have so you have like the set rules, which you know they're. Some would say there's there's too much rules. Some would say there's not enough. And you can kind of decide for yourself what rules you, you will and won't follow. But the other kind of end of keeping things from getting out of control is the dungeon master of the group. So let's actually kind of talk about that. Let's talk about, like, what, what it takes to play a game. You have two types of um, positions, if you will, in the game. Um, you have the players, which are the people assuming the fantasy roles, the ones that build their characters and have a name and have a backstory and uh, have character sheets. But then you have the dungeon master, and he's kind of the arbiter of the game as a whole from any type of non-player person or character that you come across in the game to the one enforcing all the rules, handling the combat of all the monsters that you may fight, um, and, and creating the dungeons and the, and the whole world around you. So a, a dungeon master is responsible for the environment that uh, the players are going to be set in. Mm -hmm. The environment, and um, as, as the players, as the players make all the decisions and reactions to what the dungeon master presents to them, the dungeon master then has to be um, responsible for the reaction of the environment and the people and everything in the world to what the players do. Um, you know, D and D's interesting game because unlike other games where like the point is to win you know there's there there is an end goal an end game if you will um in D&D it's it's collaborative storytelling like no one knows where the game's going to go because you never know what your players are going to do and the players never know what's going to happen when what they do comes across their dungeon master's plate yeah that, that's one of my favorite elements of the game is that um the dungeon master can set up this elaborate uh <laughs> maze of of issues and problems and there can be lots of people in this world and the players can they have all this freedom they can do l almost anything they yeah. want within like yeah. that and that's why the mechanics are important like you you don't want to you can't do anything but within reason yeah. i mean you could do you could talk to anybody you could yeah. you could take an action that changes the course of the entire party's campaign and and <clears throat> yeah so as a dungeon master um what do you try to do to keep keep your players from like totally taking things off the rails and out of your hands, or do you just let them kind of run the game to some degree? Well, me personally, well, there's multiple ways to handle that. Some DMs are just like, nah, do whatever you want to do, man. Fuck it, let's just go. Like, let's see where this crazy train fucking goes. Um, others kind of go the other way on that, and I don't really agree with it. Where it's called railroading, where it's like, no matter what the players do, they always will end up where the dungeon master wants them and that's to me personally that's not a fun way of playing but you know what everyone's game is their own um for me for the most part um i've just gotten used to having to improvise you know i i find that to be the most fun part of the game is like as a dungeon master like i'll have this elaborate campaign set up where stuff's going on in the background stuff like the, my players don't even know um and then my player will unwillingly do something that will just completely derail it i'm like oh man now what happens let's see let's find out we're gonna go with it okay so uh well why don't you tell me um what makes dungeons and dragons unique what makes it different from playing other kinds of uh role-playing games maybe what's a what's another example of a, of a role-playing game that's comparable it's comparable to D D. yeah um well, it's funny because, like, when people talk about RPGs now, they're usually referring to, uh, you know, video games. So, you know, Legend of Zelda, Final Fantasy, you know, those are some of the most all-time, you know, famous RPGs there are. Um, the reason they're called RPGs is because they are role-playing games. You're supposed to kind of get into the role of your characters. And what's funny about it, all those video games that we all know and love today, they actually derive a lot, if not most, of their content and ideas from the original D&D game uh, made back in the 70s. Um, so D&D is a little bit different from those kind of role-playing games because D&D really kind of forces you to uh, break out of your shell and 
assume a role. Uh, role playing is it's basically acting. You're acting, and uh, you created a character, and that character has a totally different personality and backstory and everything than you could ever have in your life, and you have to assume that role. And a lot of people find that a little uncomfortable to kind of start to do. They feel a little bit embarrassed or a little shy, but like when you get into it, that's what makes this game so unique and so gratifying and so much fun is, uh, is you know, role-playing uh, makes this game an adventure, and that's, and that's what this game's about. It's about adventuring. Um, would you say that um, the difference between uh, being a good player and a not-so-good player would be, uh, like, staying in character? How important is it to, to, to be the, the, char- your, the persona that you've made for the game? How important is it to stick to that? I, I mean, I think it's definitely paramount to stick to character, I think that there's a lot of things though that can make a difference between a bad and a good player. Um, are there are is there such a thing as a bad player? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, there is. You get uh, there's so many uh, there's so many stereotypes within within the gaming world of of D and D. You get what are called the uh, the the power players, the the min maxers, the ones who like who. Their soul, like the thing that they're deriving from the game the most is like, how can I make the most powerful character ever who's just good at everything and just can't be stopped? Right. And on the surface, that sounds awesome. And honestly, a lot of people will gravitate towards that when they're when they're new time players, because that's kind of how you play video games. You know, you want to yeah, make the who best. doesn't want to be like you want to collect all your armor and the best right. weapons and you want right. to tear up that bad guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um but it's actually kind of detrimental to not only the players around you and the dungeon master, but to yourself and the game, the game itself, because nothing interesting can happen when you're just always the best and you always succeed. Um, so I, I find that there's nothing wrong with playing to your character strengths and trying to make them the best at whatever it is they do. But when you do it to a point where that's just everything, you're playing the wrong game. Like there's other games where you could do that, where you can get that, you could scratch that itch of min maxing. Um, why D and D? Why the role playing game? That just doesn't seem to be the place to do that. Um, for me, D and D is more about the social aspect, getting out there and talking, being hanging out with friends, having a good time, and uh, you know, assuming another role and doing collaborative storytelling. So when you're in character. Um these characters have strengths that you've addressed, but what about uh, the other end of that? Like what, what are like, so these characters are obviously supposed to have flaws. Um, Right. What, what, what do you recommend when you're building a character, um, how to uh, allocate your strengths and weaknesses? Because you do get to decide somewhat what those are going to be. Right. Well, I mean, for example, if you're building a fighter, you know, you're, you're probably going to want to be strong. That makes the most sense. Yeah. You're going to be fighting. Yeah, and you want to be able to endure, like, um, you like know, physical hand to hand combat. Physical hand to hand combat. You're probably probably pretty athletic. You know, this is of course assuming a lot of things. So, like, your weakness may might be your intelligence or your charisma. Maybe you're not the most sociable or charismatic person. Um, I think it's important to have flaws and weaknesses because honestly, those are the problems you're going to come across during your character's adventure that you're going to have to overcome and oftentimes what can happen is either hilarious or bizarre or you know you just would have never seen it coming and that's what makes the game fun yeah i've seen some players um have to use their strengths versus their weaknesses to think their way out of a a position that they've put themselves in because of those things right i find that it really interesting when i'm watching a game and i see Oh well, that guy's not very smart, but he's got to talk to somebody that is, or right. maybe like solve an an issue that would take some intelligence. And he's now he's maybe put himself in a compromising position. Right? Maybe he can smash his way out. Yeah, and maybe he can, or, or maybe, maybe, maybe he, he can. can't. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, that might segue us into the next thing, which is um, uh, being a player in a party. Um, right. So what what do you do? Um, so there's typically how many players are going to be under a single dungeon master? I mean, you can do it just one-on-one, and some people do. Uh, I like to have three to five players, usually four. Four is a sweet spot for me. I like having four players. It usually comes out to a well-rounded group. Um, I've seen I've seen up to like eight, nine, ten players, which to me is madness. Like, I don't know how a DM keeps that under control at all. Yeah, or you how to manage so much. Yeah, or like everyone's got to fit in to like, you know, most people play from like three to four hours. Like when everybody wants to do what they want to do, like how do you fit ten people into that? That's ah, crazy. I don't know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, generally, you know, you don't have anywhere from like two to five players under one DM. 
Okay, so why don't we get more in depth about um, creating a character? Like, what does it? What do you do? Where do I start? How do I begin? <laughs> right. Um, okay, so there are <clears throat> in fifth edition D anD D, there are three major components to to character creation. Uh, first is you're going to choose probably your class first, and and classes in D anD D are kind of like what you do. Are you a wizard? Are you a warrior of some sort? Are you a are you a religious character like a cleric or a paladin? Um, are you more of a naturey type character like a ranger or a druid? Um, a bard that's another class. Um, and then kind of the the flip side of like what you do is um, who and what are you? And that kind of can um, be expressed through. Two things, your race and your background. Now, your race is kind of like, what species are you? In D&D, you have all your classic fantasy species, like, you know, humans, elves, dwarves, uh, halflings. You know, most people probably recognize hobbits. Hobbits and halflings are kind of interchangeable. And then you have more, like, exotic races, like um, dragonborn, which are kind of like dragon men, or tieflings, which are like humans with a little bit of devil blood in them. And, and there's just so many races out there. And your race kind of dictates some things that you can do and some like pluses to different abilities and whatnot. And then, of course, your background is kind of like what you did before you became whatever your class is. So, you know, yeah, you're a fighter, but your background is you, you're a gladiator. That's the kind of fighter you are. Or... um an outlander for a ranger is usually a good background. Like you've been, you've been roaming the ranges out there and like you can survive out in the wild. So there are, um, there are mechanical things that make, uh, picking a race in a class, um, you know, they'll give you certain statistics, right? So that, um, what, what control does a player have over, over that beyond picking a race in a class? What can they do to make their character their own? Okay, so um, after you've chosen your your three major components of background, class, and race, um, the way you get more into the customization bit is that in D&D you have six ability scores, um, which are strength, constitution, dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. And each of them plays a part in what your character can do, whether that's skills they have or spells they cast or um, their their attacks or their ability to evade a trap or a spell. And uh, you have a couple ways of, of coming up with the numbers for your ability scores. I would say the most common way is there are there is a pre-generated standard array of numbers that you can just mix and match and plug into wherever you want them to be and then go ahead and add all your racial and class stuff to it. Um, and where where would I find that standard array? You'd find that standard array in the player's handbook, which is the most important of the three books that you'll most likely need if you're looking to get into D and D long term. Um, another way of allocating those those scores in the way I kind of like to do it, and it's a little bit controversial actually. Some people like hate this way, other people like live by it, and that's rolling for your stats. Kind of gives it a more of a random feel, and. Um, what you do there is you're going to roll a set amount of dice and add them together and allocate them to whatever score um, you want them to be. So you get to decide. So if I roll uh, a certain st- stat and I want that to be my attack, you know, based off of my race and my class, I can make uh, all these stats that I roll. I pick and choose which ones go where. That's how I do it. That's how I do it. And if I think the player's handbook, that's how they have you do it. Some people do it differently. Some people are like, no, you roll them in order. Strength, con, dex, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. And what you roll is what you roll, and that's what you get. And that's a fun way to play, but that's not how I usually do it. Because the, the last thing I want is to have one player who's, like, uber-powerful at everything and one player who just rolled fucking shitty. And they just <laughs> they have a shitty guy. And, and well, I guess you suck for the whole campaign. Yeah, have fun. You know, and then they and then they <laughs> quote unquote commit suicide and you know some some sort of way they get their character killed because they want to reroll. Oh just, yeah. yeah, okay. Oh yeah, that happens. That's oh, a man. thing. Thanks. So uh, I guess uh, what else can you do? So those, those that's the mechanical side of things where uh, I'm seeing that you can. Yeah. Uh, we could do a whole episode on character creation and probably will. So well, like, let's well, not get should, to the nitty gritty. What should you do uh, beyond beyond rolling stats? Like uh, most characters have a the, like filling out your backstory and things like that. Yeah, I, I'd say uh, 
outside of the mechanics, you know, your most important part is coming up with with a cool with a cool character. You know, like like okay, so you're a ranger and you know you're an outlander. You've been doing it a while, and you know you're an elf. Okay, so those are the, your three mechanical aspects. But like, who are you? What's your name? Like, how did you get there? What have you been doing your whole life? Like, what happened to you in your past? How was your childhood? Some people get crazy in depth to their backstories. I've had character. I've had players. Give me literally a five chapter. This is this is my character's backstory, and it was it was awesome. It was great. I you know I, has anyone that done that ever died in like the first four games or something? No, like that? God, that'd be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> no, uh, he's the only one who's ever done that, and no, he didn't die. He lasted the entire campaign. Thank God. Well, that's good. Yeah, um, that going to waste. Yeah, but you know other other players are real basic about it. It's like no, here's just the basic paragraph and. There are pros and cons to doing it either way, so whatever you prefer. I'm kind of in between that. I usually will have maybe a page, like from top to bottom, of like everything you need to know about my guys as my dungeon master, and I'm looking to to explore. Let's go. Something I see some players kind of leave out uh, that I've noticed is um like how they became. Uh, an adventurer because almost every player in Dungeons and Dragons that's going to be under a dungeon master mm-hmm. is going to be on an adventure. Yeah, that's um, you know that's the game. The, the game of D anD D is uh, adventurers adventuring and like where that goes. Um, again, I would say that's inspired from literally Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. It was it's a group of adventurers that got together. They had a quest. They went. So typically in a game, um, as a dungeon master you're going to be sending your players somewhere. Yes. Yeah, for the most part. Um, some DMs don't. Some DMs are just like, let's just see what happens. We're going to make this up as we go. I tend to have like an overarching... I have an overarching story that is ongoing, and I will try and push and nudge my character subtly in the direction that I want them to go or the, the in, towards the major quest, if you will. Um, but it's always in the power of the players to derail that if they so choose. Um, but yeah, generally, yeah, you're going to have overarching quests, uh, whether they be small or big. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everyone. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank you for listening. We really appreciate your support. If you like what we do here at the Dungeon Cast, please spread the word and tell your friends about us. You can find us on soundcloud.com slash thedungeoncast on iTunes or click the link in our description to hear us on YouTube. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. If you have a question, suggestion, or you just want to say hi, feel free to leave a comment. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at thedungeoncast or send us an email at thedungeoncast at gmail.com. That's it for the break. Enjoy the rest of the show. Okay, so you've got 
uh, a group of players. You're mm-hmm. the dungeon master. Mm-hmm. Um, you have your player's handbook. Um, you you sat down to your first game. Uh, what what am I what am I going to be expecting here? What do I need to to make this happen as a okay. player? Well, as a player, like all you really need is your character sheet and uh, an idea for who your character is and you're you're ready to role play it and then of course most importantly every single person at the table is going to have a set of dice so what's on my what's on my character sheet exactly your character sheet is going to just have all the information in your character whether that's like the list of their spells that they have prepared for the day or you know their all their skills what they're trained in what they're not trained in um all the numbers of their ability scores um their inventory like you know what what do they have on them you know weapons armor um and is yeah. that uh, is that something that's predetermined? Like when you're starting a game, do you, does your backstory lead into like what you have on you, or when you when you build your character, um, the game kind of gives you a couple mechanical ways to decide like how much gold you have and uh, you know what armor you can afford to buy at level one and all that stuff. Um, and then generally, if a player has a backstory where they would have something in their inventory. Um, I'll generally allow it. Obviously, not like, oh yeah. By the way, I totally have this badass. Yeah, I brought my bazooka. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My plus, bulletproof vest. Plus four bow of killing everything. No, like fuck you and no. So, um, but yeah, it's like no. My my character has like um, the, uh, a family crest, a, an amulet, if you will, of my family crest that's worth a hundred gold. Yeah, I'll let that fly. Whatever. You probably. Hopefully, won't just sell it right. Yeah, if for... he, yeah, if he does, yeah, I'll be angry. But whatever, <laughs> you know, we'll figure it out. Um, okay, so, um, so I've got my character sheet, and mm-hmm. it's got it's got my inventory, it's got all my stats on it, my hard stats, um, mm-hmm. what I'm trained in, weapons, all that. Um, yeah. So I've got that. What else? What else am I am I gonna need? Uh, I would say most importantly, you're gonna probably have a set of dice. Um, the game is played with dice. Like Yahtzee or like... No, no. Uh, in D&D, you have uh, like all kinds of different like multi-sided dice. The most important would be the D20. It's the dice. It's the die that you're going to be rolling 99% of the time for anything that you are doing, any action that you uh, make that requires a dice roll. And it's literally just... Um, uh, what, what, I, I, I kind of... I don't remember the name of the shape, but it's a, it's a dice with 20 sides... A one to twenty, and you roll it, and you add whatever it is that you your DM tells you you need to add to it, and that's the number that you roll. So twenty being typically the best yes. number you can roll, and yeah. one being the worst. Yeah, absolutely. And and generally, what you're doing if if you roll a twenty, that's considered a critical hit. It's most likely a absolute success, like no questions asked. And a one is the polar opposite; it's a crit miss. A one is a fail, even if you add everything together and it comes out to a success you rolled a one that's a fail so if i roll a d20 um i don't know, give me a scenario like what what would i need to uh roll my d20 for like uh, uh put me in a situation as a dungeon master any usually any physical attack that you're making if you're a fighter and you're swinging your sword at that orc you're rolling a d20 and adding your attack modifier to it um and if you roll a 20 um you're going to double the damage basically you're going to roll your damage dice twice and um, it's a automatic success. You have hit on that twenty. If you roll a one, you automatically miss. Okay, so um, I if I roll a ten uh, for an attack, and I, I add my attack modifier, which is a stat that I I rolled onto my character sheet, right? Yeah. So that uh, that modifier at the beginning of the game is typically what like a plus two. I mean, it varies, but yeah, it's going to be like anywhere from like a plus two to a plus five, maybe, maybe. Okay, so if I roll if I roll a ten, I add my five if, if my stat is really good. With and a total of fifteen. It's now a fifteen. Yeah. Um outside of uh yeah, I roll a twenty and it's twenty five, but like I rolled that twenty, so that whatever's happening is happening. Yeah. And that so, extra five is gravy, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So if I roll a let's say let's say I had a plus twelve to a stat, like let's say a late game or something okay. like that. Yeah. I've got this ridiculous monstrous stat and I roll a one. Uh, I add 12 and it's a 13. Auto fail. Auto fail. I don't care if the monster had 10 AC, you have missed. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the D20, uh, what, what, besides attacking, what else, what else are you going to make me roll a D20 for? Any type of skill check, you know, if you're trying to be really stealthy as you're, you know, sneaking through the dungeon, you don't want to learn anything ahead of you. I'm going to make your character roll a stealth check to see how well they're, they're performing that skill. Okay. Um, don't roll a one. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's actually something to talk about. Uh, critical hits and critical misses 
in game the rules are they only pertain to attack rolls um and some people don't apply them to skills or whatnot. I love to apply them to skills. I, I basically apply them to pretty much anything because it's, it's always nice to have that. Like, oh, shit, you know, you missed. Like, this ruins everything. <laughs> no, now what happens. so yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. You're fucking terrible. Go home. Yeah. Yeah. And Don't go home. Keep speak, Yeah, please. Yeah, don't leave. Um, <laughs> That's speak, part of it is dealing with those mistakes is part of the fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like the dice um, decided, like mm-hmm. your character, like fate basically is your D20 mm-hmm. and your character is subject to to that role yeah. even though they have a skill. If you if you critically miss something important, uh, it might change yeah. everything, right? Yeah, it might change everything. One roll and like decide. just because like just because you rolled the crit miss doesn't mean your character in game fucked up. Like especially okay, you're let's say you're a fighter, you're good at fighting and you happen to miss this orc. It's not because you personally fucked up, but like you said the dice kind of represents fate. So like maybe uh the you know where you stepped wasn't even ground like you thought and you ended up slipping a little bit or maybe the orc just happened to be on top of his game and he just happened to dodge it so you can kind of spin the crit miss in a way that makes sense if it normally wouldn't you know that's up to the creativity of the uh dungeon master um but that's the thing when 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 you're playing the game um some people just have bad luck when it comes to the roles and some people have the best luck and you know every everyone Everyone has a different amount of luck when it comes to the rolls, and that's what the 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 actual numbers are there to help mitigate. Is like, sure, maybe you're not the you're not the luckiest at rolling, but for the most part, you're still going to be good at what your character's good at because the numbers say they are. Yeah, my fighter should technically like his backstory and his and it has fighter training. He's mm-hmm. supposed to be good at fighting, so right. my my hard stats should reflect that. Yeah, and aid yeah. my rolls. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so there's there's a d20 um, pretty much decides uh, all of your all of your excessive actions mm-hmm. that you're gonna do. Um, mm-hmm. What's the next dice that uh, we usually need? I heard you say something about attack 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 rolls, uh, damage dice, things like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so pretty much all the other dice that aren't the d20 for the most part um, are strictly damage dice. So every weapon that you're wielding is going to have a multi-sided dice that pertains to the amount of damage it does um whether it's a anywhere from a 1d4 which is the lowest all the way up to a 1d12 which is the highest also spells have a set amount of damage so you'll be rolling different multi-sided dice for whatever given spell that you're casting um and yeah so that you know a long sword's like a 1d8 so it can it can do anywhere from 1 to 8 damage plus whatever your numbers are um, versus like a, a great axe, which is big heavy weapon, does a one d twelve, so anywhere from one to twelve on the damage uh, kind of scale there. Okay, so um, let's talk more about uh, social side of Dungeons and Dragons. Maybe um, put the put your characters in a town setting. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of your options if you're a player in, uh, let's say a, a medium sized town? You know, maybe right. a couple hundred people live here. Well, I mean, it's kind of whatever you can think of. You know, there's it's a town, so it's probably going to have a blacksmith. You're going to have inns. You're going to have people roaming the streets. You're going to have farms. You're going to have, you know, anything. And wherever the characters want to go, the DM just has to be ready to role play that and just go with it. So um, if I'm in a town and I want to go talk to the innkeeper, mm-hmm. um, what what? So I would just say my character wants to go talk to the innkeeper. And my character would go there. Yeah, I, well, I would like. Okay, so let's do a little bit of role playing right now. Okay, and just we're gonna assume that let just role play your character in our ongoing game right now, Rohan. Okay, my my character Rohan. He's a he's an air genasi and he's a fighter. Um, I like him a lot. He's got a lot of courage and um, he's not the smartest guy, but he knows how to fight and he know he's pretty acrobatic and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually the first thing he wants to do when he gets to town is go to see a blacksmith. So mm-hmm. um, let's say we just broke into town. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, Rohan, uh, he wants to go see the blacksmith. Um, where where would I find him? Or um, I guess I would start asking around. Do I see anybody in the street? Yeah, you see multiple people walking around. You see um, a mother walking her two children down the street. You see a couple workers carrying uh, buckets of you don't know what because they're in the distance. And uh, yeah, you see you see people bustling all around. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna approach um, 
maybe somebody, if there's a burly guy around that might have a weapon on him or something like that, he probably knows where the blacksmith is. So I yeah. would try to approach him. Yeah, you approach him and you ask him where the blacksmith is and he points you right in the right direction. It's actually right down the main street. And uh, you follow the direction he gave you. And sure enough, after about 50 yards of travel, you actually begin to hear the sounds of a blacksmith uh, you know, shop work. Okay, that's that's typically Rohan would what Rohan would do. He would go talk to the blacksmith and just uh, say hi. Yeah, so. and uh, introduce himself. Yeah. So um, what you do in town, what you do anywhere, is really it, your limit. Your only limit in this game really is your imagination, and of course the rule set, which are the guidelines that keep everything under control. So what if I'm uh, what if I'm interested? I'm playing a character that's really interested in finding like buried treasure or something like that. Okay. What um, if I'm in town? What are my options? What's what's gonna I mean, how would I uh, yeah. implement that? How would I employ my character to? I mean, maybe that character is since they're always looking for hidden treasure. They're always looking for rumors, tips, maps, anything. Maybe they ask around town. They see what the rumors are. Like maybe there's a rumor that old man Jenkins had buried all his wife's, you know, wealth that he inherited after her mysterious death you know out in the woods everyone sees old man jenkins go out there sometimes and no one knows what he's doing old man jenkins <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you know and then maybe that character is like okay i want to check this out and he waits out night and sure enough there's a there's a strange old man who goes wandering out of town into the woods and he follows him and who knows what the fuck happens so if i wanted to follow this guy yeah uh, would i need to roll stealth for that uh, yeah i'd definitely make you roll stealth I'll roll for a, that yeah. roll a d20 and uh yeah. okay what happens if i fail if i fail this if stealth you fail check? then the guy's gonna probably hear some rustling or someone following and he's going to turn and probably see you and depending on what's going on who knows what he is going to do maybe he'll attack you maybe he's not an old man after all maybe he's a younger man than he looks and he's about to stab you or maybe he's some monster assuming the role of this old man and there's some darker thing going on here let's talk about let's talk about D&D monsters oh gosh yeah monsters yeah okay let's talk about them what do you want to know yeah so uh, (laughs) how would this guy uh be in like his how could this how will this guy not be a guy yeah like how (laughs) how is that possible what do you mean Um, like is he a shapeshifter he could be he could be maybe he's a shapeshifter maybe he's a werewolf maybe he is a possessed man maybe he's possessed by a demon or a ghost or a devil or or something or you know maybe he's a cultist you know not to say that that makes him not a guy but generally uh, a cultist is a uh, quote-unquote monster or creature in the monster manual that you can then as a dm use in a fight so what i've noticed about um monsters is that they're they're built a lot like characters they're um they have somewhat of a backstory maybe not a personal one but like oh this type of creature typically does this and right acts this way yeah there's a huge amount of lore around pretty much any given creature that you'll find in the monster manual and what's cool about the monster manual is it's all in there and you can totally go with it and like you have all this rich lore you can derive, you know, ideas from, or you could fucking disregard it and like, nope, that's not what demons are in my world. Demons are this. So, you know, that's that bit's that bit's up to you. But yeah, every every monster you you know uh, is a character of sorts, whether it's something as simple as like that rat's a rat who's been living a rat life, or, you know, it's you know, this demon has killed a thousand men. It has been summoned from like the X level of the abyss and like yada yada yada. Oh man. So on okay. and so forth. Yeah. So uh the monster manual is where you're getting all this information from usually. Um usually, yeah. Okay, so what what other little gems can you find in the monster manual? What what does it have to offer me? Oh my gosh. Okay, so the monster manual has Literally hundreds of creatures, whether they're magical or mundane, um, that you can, that with a little stat block telling you what basically anything of this species can do, and you can just plop it right into your game for a combat encounter or whatever. Um, D&D's probably has some of the most iconic monsters that you can think of. Dragons, of course. It's Dungeons and Dragons. Um, demons and Devils. Um, there are creatures called Beholders. There are... Um, creatures that are like chimeras and and hydras and goblins and orcs and ogres and the list goes on and on. They're supernatural creatures like zombies and ghouls and ghasts and ghosts and a lot of fucking G 
lettered <laughs> monsters, apparently. Um, basilisks, you know, pretty much anything you could think of from legend or lore will be in that book. So all those things sound pretty terrifying. Yeah, most uh, of the things in the monster manual you don't want to fucking meet, but you're gonna. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's why we're playing. Uh, well, what I've seen some things in the monster manual that are not necessarily evil right that's true like what what are some of those things like uh, um yeah there's angels there's unicorns and pegasi and uh what are uh, not all dragons are evil like uh, there are good and evil dragons so um you know you have those what are some other good creatures um i've seen like the genies and stuff like that the genies kind of ride that line yeah yeah. which you know honestly good and evil like let's talk about good and evil when it comes to D &D and how it pertains to monsters and characters so in in D and D there are is what is called um, an alignment chart. Anything can fall within uh, the nine alignments, and there are kind of two axes or axi axes 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 axes. Um, there yeah, there's uh there are things that are lawful and things that are chaotic, and of course the neutral between the two. There are things that are good, and there are things that are evil, and the neutral between the two. So uh, an example would be like demons are chaotic evil. Angels are lawful good. And uh, monsters and NPCs and PCs, players, fall between all of these things. Is there anything in the monster manual that falls into a like, completely neutral alignment? Like, Yeah, uh, well, yeah, the genies. Some of the genies do. Um, I believe it's the... The water genies, what are they called? Marids, Marids. There is there is a water genie in the in the monster manual that I believe falls along the neutral side of things. And what? How would this? If you encountered this creature as like a party, mm-hmm. what what do you think would happen? I mean, um, if as a neutral creature, maybe maybe you neutrally stumbled upon it. And yeah, you didn't mean to. Yeah. So you know, when a character is neutral, it just means like it's it doesn't really err on the side of good or evil necessarily. Uh, neutral characters are actually usually pretty self-serving, but not in like a nihilistic or insane way that maybe like a chaotic evil person is. Um, honestly, like a, a true neutral alignment is generally what most people you're going to meet in real life or in, in this game. You know, they're just living they're their common, lives, common doing, townsfolk. doing their thing, you know not really worried about good evil or chaos or law um so if you come across a neutral creature it's just as likely to like disregard you unless it thinks you're a threat as it is to maybe it's territorial it's like no get the fuck out of my thing it has nothing to do with good and evil it's just you're in its fucking place get the fuck out okay so <laughs> yeah so um every every character in in D and D, whether it be a monster or uh, an NPC, which mm-hmm. is a non-player character in a town or something like that, they're going to be aligned on on this chart somewhere. Generally, so in the older editions of D and D, the alignment was literally a mechanic. Like certain spells affected certain people of certain alignments and didn't others. Oh, is that kind of like a like a rock paper scissors thing? Um, I I mean, kinda. Um. Basically, like, okay, so if you were a cleric, you maybe had spells that, like, would only hurt things that were evil. Because evil in D&D is, like, a tangible thing. It's it's real. There is no question. Like, in real life, like, is evil and good real? That's a whole philosophical thing. Who knows? But in D&D, it's, it's established. No, there are there is good, and it is a thing that you can do. And there is evil. And there that is also a thing that you can do and be. And things that were evil... Certain spells would only hurt those, and vice versa, or or heal, you know, and vice versa. Okay. But in in today's current D anD D, and the way I prefer it is, it's more of a guideline for how your character should act. So, generally, your character will fall within one of the nine categories, and that's kind of a basic guideline for like what they would do in a given situation or how they tend to lead their lives. It's definitely not like a hard rule. It's like, no, I'm lawful good. I would never do that. Or maybe, may, or maybe it could be, but you know, generally, I I, I, I like treating the alignments as a guideline, as a, as a soft rule, if you will. Yeah. Um, so that th- this chart applies to um, to the character you're building, mm-hmm. also, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So as you're building your character, you might want to think, um, well, this person acts this way. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, that's a, a good thing, mm-hmm. or they that's generally considered to be good. Um, right. So that makes them good. Mm-hmm. Is it a set of like rules that they follow that makes them more lawful, right? Versus yeah. like, well, I kind of just see things happening and I go help people that, and and I don't really care how it gets done. That's more of a of a chaotic kind of thing, right? Right. right definitely. So, uh, um, what would it like a neutral good or neutral evil act? How would they? how would they be in, in certain situations? Like if somebody was getting robbed, let's say that they, this neutral good character comes upon a, a wagon that's being ransacked. What do they do? I mean, I would imagine most neutral good characters would try and do something to stop it. If they felt it was within their power, you know? Um, but like if it was being ransacked and they got there and they were stopping it, um, but then, like, guards or something showed up at the scene and then decided to arrest them because there was confusion at the scene. They don't know who ro- was actually robbing who and who was saving what. Um, a neutral good character might just be like, a neutral character could go either way on it. They could go like, okay, I guess I'll just deal with this and, like, plead my case and then they'll let me go. Or maybe it's like, no, fuck you, and run away. So, Oh, yeah, like, I yeah. wasn't doing anything wrong, and, yeah. like, you're in the wrong for trying yeah. to arrest me, so yeah. I, I'm dipping. Yeah, a, a neutral character basically, like, d- doesn't think that the law is, like, must be followed, but they generally feel like they understand why laws are there and will generally follow them, unless it's, like, really against whatever it is they need or want done. While a chaotic person is usually like, fuck the rules. I don't care about the rules. The rules are stupid. And the rules make it harder for me to do good things. So so which would you, when you're building a character, would you put the chart first? Or would you put your character first and have would, them fall into the chart? I always put the chart last when I'm building a character. Um, because oftentimes you'll, have a, you'll think that your character is neutral good or lawful good. And then as you get into playing and you're kind of getting the feel for this character that you're role playing as and... Uh, situations are arising you find that maybe he doesn't quite fit in what you thought he did yeah like they would react in a situation differently than uh than a lawful good might act right depending on what's going on generally i would say make your character make your backstory role play it and see where it goes and then you know as you continue to play this character you'll have a better idea of where they fit when it comes to that alignment chart so it's not like oh i built this character and it's concrete it right this character lives in this world and yeah. experiences things and mm-hmm. makes decisions and has new memories and changes yeah yeah so how often is it that you see a character start in some kind of like they they come into the game as a lawful good but as they role play mm-hmm. and hopefully they role play well and they're subjected to all these things maybe they they kind of tend to go more toward a neutral they're still good. Yeah. Probably good characters always stay good. Yeah. Typically, but maybe they'll go more towards neutral or right. even chaotic and more extreme. Yeah, I mean so, it happens all the time, like especially like if you got a long-term game that players are showing up to every week and the story's going and things are happening, like yeah, that's that's the thing, like like in real life, your characters are going to have opinions change when they see certain things happen or, you know, they might have philo- philosophical idea changes or, you know, who knows. Okay, so we've we've talked about uh, what you need to play D anD D, like the physical things. You need uh, you need your character sheet and you mm-hmm. need your dice and you probably right. you know a pencil. Yeah, you're going to be erasing, and you're going to need your player's handbook to create the character. And as a dungeon master, you're going to need the um, the monster manual for any type of creature that you're going to need or NPC. And also, there's another book we haven't talked about called the Dungeon Master's Guide, which uh, the dungeon master will need for like there's items in there there's all kinds of rules for any situation you could possibly think of it's probably in there okay so um typically when you're using uh the dungeon master's guide and you're opening the book where are you where are you usually flipping to first um do you find yourself most me personally yeah um it if usually if some of some like environment rule or something like some question comes up, I'm like, man, I actually don't know what to do there. Let's see what the Dungeon Master's Guide has to say about it. And I have my, my DM Guide is all tabbed out with, like, different sections. And, like, so, like, hazardous traps, like, I'll just flip to that real quick and be like, oh, okay, that's how that works. Okay, let's keep going. Okay. Um, so stuff like that. Also, like, all your magic items are in that book. So if there's, like, treasure or anything that you're ready to dole out to your players that your players stumble upon, all the stats and everything you need to know about those items are in the Dungeon Master Guide. So that sounds... <clears throat> Uh, pretty handy 
yeah, to definitely. Have, have with you, especially yeah. during a game. Um, I, I would say the Dungeon Master Guide is the book you need the least to play. And honestly, you could just make stuff up and you don't need that book at all. But it is a nice tool to have. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't for so you don't you're not forced to think of everything. Maybe you don't want to no. have the time. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. You just want to flip the oh yeah, this is how this works and it's it says right here. Yeah. So that's what um mechanical D and D is for, as I will probably keep referring to it as as mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um but let's say uh I have all my materials to play the game, um, and I'm I'm sitting down, um, but like the intangibles, like what how much time am I gonna need to do this? That varies from group to group. I personally like to have three and a half to four hour games. Um, and I, I think most people fall right into that time frame right there. Sometimes you don't have that luxury and you can only sit down and play for an hour and a half. And that's okay too. Usually those games are a little less serious because they don't have time to be more serious. But I've seen people play up to like eight, nine hours. Um, what What about playing for four hours-ish? Is like, Do you feel like that's... Why is that the optimal amount of time? I just find it's it's the um, it's the most ample amount of time for like enough story to get covered for everyone to do the things that they want to do and to push the campaign forward enough for it to justify everyone kind of bending their schedule to kind of be there at the same time. Um, so with uh, with the luxury of a four hour game, uh, right. do you how often do you recommend uh, a party and a DM meet? to have that game as often as you want to it's a freaking fun game it's it's my favorite pastime so if i could play every day i would obviously i can't um i mean we have an ongoing bi-weekly game because that's just as much as we can fit it between five guys but uh if you could do weekly or bi-weekly hell yeah like fuck i'm jealous yeah like, that's really That'd cool be, you'd be moving right yeah. along um oh yeah at the pace we play things kind of i'm always so eager to get to the next game yeah uh, you know it, it is a lot of fun yeah. getting getting down sitting down and exploring mm-hmm. uh, all these different facets of not only my character but the world that we're, we're put into mm-hmm. uh the world that that you the dungeon masters created um i, I do want to talk a little bit about um interactions socially between characters in oh, a party yeah. um what what's acceptable what what's um is there is there something acceptable? Is is there a guideline is there to follow? Table table etiquette. Yeah, know? yeah, I would say definitely, and that should a lot of that stuff you you want to establish at, at the creation of the group and uh, of the game, and um, usually that's either going to be like the DM is going to be the one who kind of like, like sets house the rules, rules. house yeah. rules, yeah, um, or maybe it's the person who hosts it. But either way, you need to set those rules at the beginning. For instance, I don't really tolerate in like player-on-player violence unless it's 100% in character and both out-of-character players have agreed that, no, this is a thing and, like, don't worry, we're not going to let it ruin the game. Yeah, but the, or, or for, God forbid, like a friendship or something. A friendship, yeah, a friendship. Or, like, you know, what... what? It's not that serious. The Dungeons & Dragons yeah. is, is kind of serious, but it's not. It's never that yeah, serious. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, like, a lot of people have a hard time separating themselves from their character and, like, they'll take things personally and... uh like again, that's why I don't allow it. I, I I highly highly recommend that you just don't really get into in character fighting unless it's really in character and it's something you really want to explore. And out of character, no hard feelings. But in character, you know, maybe these dudes hate each other. And um, and that's the thing. Like I've been involved with with games. Like I've been a player in in games where um, I played a wizard. He was kind of a jerk, but I felt like he wasn't like too much of a jerk he just was kind of a little arrogant and i I tried to role play that and uh the players that i was playing with just they i don't know if they had a problem out of character with it or they were just really felt like their character would do the things that they would do but after barely like a one session the fighter in the group just kept having a serious issue with my character and he actually in character put his hands on my character more than a couple times and again, I don't advocate player and player violence, so I did everything I could to like justify why my character wouldn't cast a fireball spell or something on this dude. <laughs> like, like seriously, I I don't even remember what I said, but me and the fighter began to in character have a little bit of a tiff about what we should do next, and the fighter literally he the guy was like my my uh, my Goliath backhands Brandis that was the name of the wizard at the time his name was Brandis. And I'm less like, I, I, I paused. I was like, okay, like, did you really do that? Did you really, like, backhand my guy with your gauntleted hand? 
He's like, yes, I did that. And he was like hyper aggressive on me, like out of character too. I'm like, all right, rolls up my sleeves. Like I fucking incinerated him. Like he stood no, I'm like, dude, I'm a fucking pyromaniac wizard. So like I cast a burning hands on him. He held up his shield. He charged me. I shielded. I teleported back. I fireballed him. I pissed on his ashes. I was done. And then I quit that game because I had talked to the DM, the, um, the game earlier. And I said, Hey, I just want to let you know, like, I feel like this player is like having a serious issue with my character and what, what, what should I do about it? And, uh, is there anything you can do to kind of arbit this? Cause like, I really don't want to do player and player violence. And, you know, I feel like he's going to keep pushing my character. He's already put his hands on me a few times. And, uh, the DM literally was just like, yeah, whatever happens, happens, man. You guys figure it out yourselves. I'm like, that's not how I would DM this game, but okay. Yeah. Maybe you try to, uh, in these yeah. scenarios when you're not as much as in character as you probably yeah. should be, maybe yeah. the DM should step in yeah. and, uh, and, and mitigate that, that yeah. damage. Yeah, bit. absolutely. But like, like I would never let one of my players just bitch slap another player <laughs> on fucking war. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Like it was, it was, I was flabbergasted, dude. And I, I was so angry at a character and in character. Cause like my dude was already, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of a jerk as it was. So yeah, like I lit him on fire till he died. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's um, let's talk about. Uh, it sounds like you you lost D and D that day. Yeah, um, I feel like everyone lost that day. <laughs> so that you can lose D and D. Can you can you win at D and D? I mean, you can win as much as like you can. Your, your character can succeed at the thing it is they're trying to do, but it's not like other games where like. You know, there is this end game and like, okay, you won the game. It's over. Yeah, like, there's no there's no. no roll credits or yeah. anything did, like that. Did did Frodo win the game when he finally got that ring in Mount Doom? I mean, yeah, kinda, maybe. Sh- sh- sure. Yeah. Spoilers <laughs> for anyone who hasn't oh my God. seen that. Uh, yeah, because you, know, you know. Oh geez. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, he did he did throw the ring in the in Yeah, the, the the ring was in fact destroyed and Middle Earth was saved. Oh my god. Amazing. <laughs> But, so um, so Frodo yeah. Frodo quote unquote uh and I am doing the air quotes won won the game. If if Lord of the Rings was in a D and D setting, he won. Yeah, I mean of. kinda. As much as the store that story arc seems to have ended. The story ended. And what happened happened. D and D is treated like life. Yeah. Or rather where it's, the timeline never really time keeps going. Yeah. Can you win at life? I mean, yeah, kind of. Like, you can succeed at the things you're going for. You can accomplish things. Yeah, you can accomplish things. But then life ends and you and roll a new character. You, yeah, or, hopefully. Or you, or you go or, 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 or you, you don't. Know, uh, let's not talk let's, about that. Yeah, let's not get into that. That's not what this <laughs> podcast is about. <laughs> um, so I, it sounds like winning D&D is just having a good time. Yeah, yeah. It's about exploring. Um, it's about putting yourself into a different set of shoes and exploring it. Um it's about having fun with friends at a table. Oftentimes, D&D leads to hilarious situations. And, uh, you know, it's just a blast. It's, it's my favorite game in the world. So we do, we do have table etiquette, and we do have uh, guidelines as to things you shouldn't do. But beyond that, maybe, like, there's so much freedom. Yeah. Every time I play, there's just, like, there's all these boundless possibilities. And the mm-hmm. only thing that really binds me from going everywhere and doing everything is uh, unfortunately time and uh, my character, he probably wouldn't want to go look through every nook and cranny of every right. fucking town that we go roll yeah. into. He he wants to go talk to the blacksmith. He wants to mm-hmm. check out some weapons, maybe go have some beer right. or some food. <laughs> and uh, and that's he's more in town. He's a pretty simple guy. Yeah, um, that but that's it. I mean, I, I just let him I let him do his thing. Mm hmm. And that's that's what I feel it is, is like I, I let my character I allow my character to be themselves. Right. And uh and I try to I try to make that as easy of a process as possible and I learn with my character. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's been a lot of fun um, yeah. playing in this game. So Well, here's a question for you I've been meaning to ask you anyways, like because you have DM'd a couple games now. Um which do you prefer to do? Which do you find is more enjoyable? Oh my gosh, um, man! I've really I've only played one character, so I would love mm. to I would love to play more characters mm. to to really explore that, and I would love to DM more games because I'm so I'm so new to this. Um, I've only been playing for like what like four or five months, something like that. Yeah, and with us playing biweekly, that's not too much. But um, yeah, I I, uh, 
I think I really like to uh, to Dungeon Master that that like the amount of creative outlet that provides for me is just crazy. I get to do <laughs> like I get to build whatever I want, and then I and then you have to you also have to think on the spot when people are in your world. Mm-hmm. You gotta really be ready for anything. Yeah, and yeah definitely. Your, your character can do. I mean, they might if they're acting in character, they can still surprise you. Yeah, you know, like you can't you can't they, account for everything. You can't possibly account even can't. with like two people. There's no way. No, they say no. Every every great D and D, every great DM plan is ruined the moment it touches player contact. <laughs> the minute players contact your campaign, it's just everything. Everything goes goes to shit. I would imagine, but in a great way. That's why people put their campaign on rails. They don't like their hard work going to waste. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like uh, to me, D anD D isn't about being a dungeon master. Isn't about telling the greatest story ever or trying to tell your tale. You know, it's like it's about being an arbiter for the players and making sure the players are having fun. And also, you know, like you said, that creative outlet. Um, it's as much of a game of exploration and discovery for me as the dungeon master as it is for you guys as players, despite the fact that I create the world around you. Hey, everybody, and with that, we're going to call it a game. But before we go, we're going to leave you with a little bit of Sage DM wisdom to help you set forth on your adventure, straight from the Sage DM himself, the Sage DM. Take it away, Sage DM. Hey, everybody. This is the Sage DM here with your Sage DM advice for the week. Remember... When you're in the tavern, beer before liquor, never been sicker. But liquor before beer, you're in the clear. That's your Sage DM for advice for the week. Goodbye! Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.